Welcome to the Berlin Security Beat, a podcast from the Center for International Security at the Hertie School in Berlin. I'm Katharina Emschemann, Deputy Director at the Center. Each episode, we invite an international security scholar to help unpack a hot topic that's made the news. In today's episode, we talk about sports and autocrats. In light of the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing and the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, The Guardian recently asked, could 2022 be sports washing's biggest year? The term sports washing, they write, was popularized by Amnesty International in 2018 to describe the use of sports by oppressive governments to legitimize their regimes and distract from their human rights abuses. So I called Christian Glessel and Adam Scharpf, co-authors of a paper titled International Sports Events, Media Attention and Autocratic Repression. Christian Glessel is a postdoctoral researcher at the Center for International Security here at the Hattie School. And Adam Scharpf is an incoming assistant professor at the Department of Political Science at the University of Copenhagen and a postdoctoral researcher at the German Institute for Global and Area Studies in Hamburg. Both their research focuses on the inner workings of authoritarian regimes and the dynamics of state repression. We discuss the scrutiny-publicity dilemma autocrats face when hosting international sports events, how the Argentine military junta disappeared and killed opponents before the 1978 World Cup, what the events of 78 tell us about today, and finally, the implications for politicians, functionaries, and sponsors. Now, I'm excited to welcome Christian Glessel and Adam Scharpf as our February guest scholars on the Berlin Security Beat. Hello, you two. Hi, how are you? Hey, hey. Hi. Before we get to the geopolitics of sports, let me ask, what sports do you play? So for me, my favorite sports is clearly football. Together with my little brother, I basically spent my entire childhood on the football pitch. Obviously, since I'm originally from Fürth, my heart completely belongs to the Spielvereinigung Fürth. Ah, do you still hold out hope? Yeah, there is still some rest hope, but it doesn't look very good. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. What about you, Adam? Well, I obviously also like football, but since I'm from the south of Germany, I'm a bit more into winter sports. So if you ask me what my favorite competition is in, say, the upcoming Olympic Winter Games, then it's definitely slopestyle snowboarding. Huh. I've never watched slopestyle snowboarding, but we'll definitely watch out for it now. This is the Berlin Security Beat. So what would you two say? What song best describes the current state of the world? Maybe, Christian, you want to go first. Sure. So I don't think that I need to explain this in any more detail, but I would go for Hard Times by Baby Yui. Fair point. What about you, Adam? Well, I really like the song Kimei Neoken by the Argentine DJ Janjavia Circuito, who did a brilliant remix of the old folk song by José Laralde. And I, I particularly like this song because I think it shows us how one can generate very powerful insights by combining old and new, so historical things and, and modern things. This year, two of the biggest international sports events take place in autocracies. Beijing is hosting the 2022 Winter Olympics, and the Men's Football World Cup in November and December will be held in Qatar. 
Is it just a feeling or are more and more major sporting events taking place in autocracies? So yeah, unfortunately, I have to say it's probably not just a feeling. The data that we collected clearly shows that since the end of the Cold War, the share of autocratic coast nations has more than quadrupled, in fact. Oh boy. However, the phenomenon is anything but new. So there are many historic examples of such events taking place in dictatorships even before the Second World War. Prominent examples include the 1934 Football World Cup, which took place in fascist Italy under Mussolini, but also the 1936 Olympics in Nazi Germany, which included both the Summer and the Winter Olympic. Well, that's an interesting statistic. Why do you think that is? What do authoritarian regimes hope to get out of hosting such tournaments? First of all, I can pretty definitely say what it's not the main reason. So we know that the economic benefits for host nations are meager at best. So it must be something else. And we would say it is the unique media attention that is associated around the globe, basically, with the hosting of such events. And as you know, most autocrats have quite serious image problems, both at home and abroad. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and the successful hosting of an international sports event when essentially the whole world is watching, offers autocrats the great opportunity to generate positive publicity and to portray their regime as capable, secure, liberal, and even peace-loving. And if you just think about the shiny opening ceremonies, these are clearly orchestrated to also demonstrate unity between the nation and the regime. Doesn't sound without risk, though, does it? Exactly. So we should definitely not forget that the attention of the world media and specifically the presence of foreign journalists who flock into the country to cover the matches and the tournaments is not without risks. So obviously international media has the power to turn the whole event into a huge destabilizing PR disaster. So foreign journalists, particularly those from liberal countries, may uncover the host's wrongdoings and denounce its lacks of civil liberties and human rights. For autocrats, mm -hmm. This triggers all kinds of problems, as you can imagine, including international naming and shaming campaigns or sanctions. And in the worst case, the assembled world press provides domestic opposition. We are talking here about regime critics, activists, dissidents with a safe forum for voicing their discontent and, and gaining support. And this is really the nightmare for dictators as they cannot crack down on protesters and dissidents as they would otherwise. And all this boils down to what we call the autocrats scrutiny publicity dilemma. So what do autocratic hosts do about this dilemma? What measures do they take to try and make this a PR success, like you said, rather than a disaster? As Adam just explained before, autocrats know that during the tournament, so when the international journalists are actually in the country, their hands are pretty much tied. In other words, they cannot use repression like usually. And any violence against protesters or dissidents under the spotlight of the world press would completely destroy the picture of a friendly host that they so desperately want to draw. And for this reason, they also know that they have to eliminate all threats before the start of the games. And in practice, this means that autocrats go down their lists of suspected troublemakers and clear the streets before the international media arrives. In your research, you primarily focus on one specific historical tournament, the 1978 FIFA World Cup in Argentina. I'd like to know why this case, but first, take us back in time. Paint us a picture of Argentina in 1978. So... 
There was a coup in 1976, mm-hmm. uh, which means that when the World Cup took place, Argentina was under military rule. And the generals under Jorge Videla had the clear goal of eliminating what they thought was a massive campaign of left-wing subversion. And so to this end, the junta killed and disappeared thousands of alleged regime opponents. And this is why the regime also suffered from quite serious image problems. So for the generals, it was really important to use the World Cup and improve their bad image. What made this case particularly interesting to study for you? So from a scientific point of view, the case is really exceptional in terms of the data that we have available and that we can draw on and basically analyze. It allows us to study regime violence around the World Cup with super precise information. That means we know exactly where and when the regime disappeared or even executed people. And our analysis of this data shows a very clear pattern exactly in line with our expectations. So there was a massive increase in regime violence right before the start of the tournament. And then there is a sudden drop and very little repression during the tournament. Importantly, the spike in violence before the World Cup only happens in host cities. So these are the cities where the stadiums were located at and where the matches were played. And once we statistically zoom in even more, we see that the repression wave is really concentrated in areas close to hotels that would be reserved for the international media representatives during the tournament. I'd like to know, where did you find this type of data? I mean, you say you have all the fine-grained data, but did you have to mine it? Where did you find it? So this is data that we collected by drawing information that can be found in the archives. So this is mainly historical data. Uh, As Christian elaborated, this is, from a scientific point of view, one of the big advantages on drawing on this case. So we have, in the aftermath of the dictatorship, so when it came down in 83, there was a truth commission established. And so this truth commission really tried to get hold of and collect all information that was out there on what nasty things the regime actually did. So we can draw on this information to really capture the violence and the repression that the regime implemented and executed. And then obviously for the World Cup, it's a little more trivial since the Argentine regime, as I mentioned, was really keen on you know, making this positive publicity thing. And so they had a lot of pursuers and a lot of advertisement. And this is all the information we can draw on to really assess and pin down what was going on and essentially how they built this whole event from scratch. Interesting. I gather that the 1978 World Cup is pretty exceptional in in terms of the availability of such ingrained information on the regime's repression activities. So now I wonder, what does that mean for your findings? Are your findings generalizable? Or in other words, what do the events of 1978 tell us about the behavior of modern autocratic host states, such as China or Qatar? So yeah, that's obviously the elephant in the room. So in our research paper, we describe numerous examples across the world, basically, and throughout the entire 20th and 21st century. And all of them basically show striking similarities in the patterns of state violence around international sports events happening in dictatorships. So one famous example is the Rumble in the Jungle, so the great boxing match between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman which took place in Mobutu Saire in 1974. But it also includes more contemporary events, such as the 2008 Olympic Summer Games in Beijing, 
where the Chinese regime set up the honeypot here to identify and arrest potential troublemakers. Wait a second, what's the honeypot? So that is basically a measure how you can identify potential troublemakers and trick them basically into revealing their true preferences and their intended actions. So how they did this is quite disturbing, actually. And so it all began under the pressure of the international community to grant more room for public dissent. And in reaction to this, the Chinese government agreed to declare so-called protest zones in the city of Beijing, where people would be allowed to protest during the games. And the only condition was that they had to register in advance. Mm. But instead of letting people in really demonstrate on site, the regime went down the registration list and systematically arrested those who had registered. Oh, man. Now we've talked about continuities that we see from the World Cup in 1978 until today. But a lot's been changing in the world. So I'd like to know what changes have you come across in your studies? You're absolutely right. We actually do see, I think, three major developments that will be more and more important in the future. And so the first development is that the financial resources of regimes, like the one in Qatar, allow autocrats to build the entire infrastructure of host venues from scratch. And I think it's very plausible that they already plan those venues in a way that minimizes the risks that international journalists will ever meet and contact ordinary citizens. I see. Yes, and then in addition, we know that the human costs of such gigantic infrastructure projects in dictatorships are quite traumatic in and itself in the sense that, just thinking about Qatar, Thousands of migrant workers have died at the construction sites. The second development is that there have been tremendous changes to the media landscape. So the windows of media attention around international sports events certainly grew, as we currently also experience with the cases and the coverage on China and Qatar. So we might expect then that repression and regime violence just spikes earlier in these countries because the window of media attention got larger. And then finally, there are, of course, big advancements in communication and information technologies. So hosts spend, and we see this um, all over, hosts spend huge sums on digital surveillance technologies such as CCTV and the like. And the surveillance infrastructure typically stays in place, even you know beyond the tournaments. And this is, if I may say, by no means unique to autocratic host countries. And uh, have you come across any other strategies that autocratic host governments use to avoid the naming and shaming by international media? Yeah, so we find in our research a couple of other complementary strategies, which made us realize that dictators, in fact, go to great lengths to make journalists happy <laughs> and influence uh, reporting in their favor, basically. And this can include just simple bribes, but it also may involve the organization of extensive entertainment programs. Again, for the case of Argentina, the junta invited journalists to all kinds of activities, ranging from wine tasting trips to something they described again in an official brochure as oriental nights oh la la uh, yeah uh, <laughs> we don't exactly know what happened there but our interviews with uh, journalists who who actually reported back in the days from argentina told us that these activities were quite popular among the 
mainly male international press corps at the time. Yeah, so we don't know, but we know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any indication that similar things might be going on, not just at sporting events, but around other types of events that attract a similar amount of international media attention? So this is actually a very good question. We know that sports events are obviously quite unique in the level of global media attention that they generate. So future research, therefore, might really want to take a closer look and pay more attention to the local patterns of violence that occurs around essentially other types of events, for example, such as the Expo or the G20 summits that also take place in authoritarian states. True. I have, I have one more question on the World Cup in Argentina. What would you say, to what extent has the Argentine military dictatorship been successful in conveying the image of a peace-loving and liberal host as intended? Also here, so this is a very good question, and it is definitely something that we want to take a closer look at in future research. But uh, what we can say is that Statements from the German team captain at the time, Berti Vogt, which is quite a famous football player and coach here in Germany, as well as the former U.S. Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, for example, suggest that it was not that unsuccessful, in fact. What did they say? So they basically praised the Argentine Junta for a very successful management and organization of the tournament. And they especially referred to the orderly manner in which the tournament went down. All right, so we're looking at, on the one hand, what the autocracies are doing, but we're also looking at the reception and looking at our own actions. So I'd like to know, in view of your findings, what's your opinion on the hotly debated question in Europe and the US about whether to diplomatically boycott the Olympic Games in Beijing? Do you think it makes a difference? Well, to be fair, this is rather difficult to know. I think we should distinguish here short and long-term effects. Mm -hmm. So in the short run, there is the risk that the Chinese regime might now really fear that international journalists are now even more motivated to look behind the facades. And therefore, the regime might want to eliminate even more potential witnesses and troublemakers beforehand. In the long run, however, a boycott might make the hosting of such events less attractive for autocratic leaders. And this is simply because if the VIP guests stay home, the potential benefits from an image boost are just so much smaller. Mm. Uh, most importantly, however, the international community should put much more pressure on the functionaries of international sports associations, such as FIFA and IOC. So many functionaries try to tell us that their sports events and the high moral values of fair play would actually really help the local population. But I think from a policy perspective, the current initiatives by some companies and national teams, such as the Danish team, to publicly voice concerns about human rights violations in Qatar and China are a good start. But it's obvious that functionaries and sponsors need to do more. And this, if I may say, also refers to the transparency surrounding the bidding processes that take place before these international sports events are actually hosted then in certain countries. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We talked about your historical case. We talked a lot about the Olympic Games, both the ones in 2008 in China and the upcoming Winter Olympic Games. 
but probably even more attention will be on the men's football championship in the winter in Qatar. What are your thoughts on this? We started out saying that you're both football fanatics to some extent. So obviously, from that point of view, you're probably excited to see how it shakes out. But knowing what you know from your research, how are you going into this tournament? So this is really a mixed feeling, I have to say. My natural instinct would be to say I personally boycott this tournament completely. But basically, I'm still a great football fan. And it's really difficult to, you know, to stay sober uh, during that time and to discipline yourself and actually avoid it completely. So... Actually, I cannot say whether I will boycott it. I probably watch the games still. Yeah, I get that. Last question on recommendations. Is there any specific book or article you'd like to take the chance and recommend our listeners? Sure. So there is a really great book, great work by Alexander Dukalskis. It's called Making the World Safe for Dictatorship. <laughs> Love the title. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It looks uh, at the strategies that autocrats use to manage their image abroad and also served us pretty much as a great source of inspiration for our research. And another great piece of research is the article by Alexandra Siegel and co-authors. They show in their paper how the performance of sports stars such as Mohamed Salah influence public resentments and prejudice. All right. What about you, Adam? I can just second this. These are both great works, and I think they're, together with the research we are doing, I think they really form a neat package, I think, to gain more insights what actually happens around international sports events and also what consequences and effects these have. And so I hope that your listeners are maybe checking them out and, and find them interesting. Absolutely. Thank you. This was an episode of the Berlin Security Beat, a podcast from the Center for International Security at the Hertie School in Berlin. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, review, and tell a friend. And of course, don't miss our next episode coming out next month. <laughs>